Good morning, everyone. It is the 11th of April. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Niall MacDonald and Alex Byrne. The war in Ukraine took a new turn as Russia focused on the Donbass region in the southeast. The economic war continued unabated, however, as further rounds of sanctions on Russia were put in place. The oil price steadied a little, just above $100 a barrel, and Shell announced that the price tag for withdrawing from its Russian operations could hit $5 billion. But the big macro story, Nile was the minutes of the US Fed's March meeting. What struck you there? Good morning, Lorna. Yes, interest rates continued to move higher last week, pushing down bond prices. And this was fueled by the hawkish slant to the FOMC minutes that were released on Wednesday. From our perspective, there were two very important elements to this. Firstly, many participants would have preferred a 50 basis point hike at the last meeting. And as we've mentioned on the podcast, there was a 25 basis points hike at the previous meeting. And this is interesting insofar as only a few expressed that preference prior to the meeting. So we are seeing a hawkish shift in the mindset of the FOMC members. Secondly, the minutes disclosed the Fed plan for balance sheet normalization. So this is the reduction in the bond purchasing program that was implemented to combat growth dynamics post the great financial crisis. So the committee anticipates a reduction of about 95 billion per month, broken out as reducing treasuries by 60 billion and mortgage-backed securities will be run off by about 35 billion a month. Now, while previously this, we had been in an environment of quantitative easing, that's pushing down bond prices by pushing down interest rates by purchasing bonds. This balance sheet reduction is named quantitative tightening. So reducing the availability of lower cost capital and a so-called tightening of financial conditions. And on that theme, we heard independent comments from one of the Fed governors last week on this unwinding the Fed's vast balance sheet. Yes, Brainerd spoke about the rapid reduction in the Fed's nine trillion balance sheet. And these comments actually led to a further spike in volatility in bond prices in US Treasury markets. Now, Brainerd had previously been described as being a very dovish member, so advocating for lower rates. This is quite a shift and reflective of the evolving mindset of the Fed committee members. Yes, as you say, it is a very effective further means of tightening US policy. So how did the US Treasury markets take this? Well, previously, the U.S. Treasury interest rate curve had been largely inverted as longer term bonds had not sold off as much as short term bonds. But this clarity and the balance sheet reduction by the Fed saw the longer end of the curve really sell off quite aggressively and a steepening of the U.S. Treasury curve. And why is this? Well, the Fed previously been buying and holding these longer dated issues. So keeping that part of the curve well supported. But the removal of this price agnostic buyer means that these bonds won't have the same buying power aimed at them anymore. Yes, very fair point. And Alex, the European Central Bank also published minutes last week. Any change in the rhetoric there? Morning, Lorna. Yes, it would appear that the members of the European Central Bank are becoming increasingly fidgety around its current policy stance, looking for opportunities to normalise interest rates with no let up in surging inflation. The minutes released on Thursday voiced concern of the inappropriateness of ultra low rates in this environment. These more hawkish moves, that is a toughening policy stance looking to be less accommodative, has seen over the course of the last two weeks a considerable increase in expectations of where interest rates will be by the start of 2024, changing from an expectation that rates would rise from negative 0.5% to positive 0.85%, now expecting the central bank to raise them more towards 1.2%. This hawkish tone that we're seeing is in the face of more difficult growth data, and we've seen PMI data from China. 
We had official manufacturing PMI. That's a gauge of factory activity where expansion is shown by a figure above 50 and contraction with a reading below. Slipped to a five month low in China, it was 49.5. The non manufacturing PMI also dropped to 48.4, the lowest since August. Through all their perceived successes early on in the pandemic of controlling the spread and minimizing economic impacts, the Chinese party's policy of zero COVID, of attempting to completely shield itself from any COVID breakout, is beginning to be severely tested. Strict lockdowns have occurred in major production and economic cities and are having a hugely detrimental effect on economic growth this year. And there's continual efforts to look at supporting the economy in a number of different ways. The coming week will be shortened for many markets by the Easter holidays and the French presidential election race now enters its second and final phase, Alex. It does. Incumbent President Macron will face Marine Le Pen on the 24th of this month in the second round runoff. The result will have huge ramifications not just for France, but likely also the EU as a whole. This is given the vastly opposing views on values integral to the EU's makeup, such as immigration between those two candidates. The polls have narrowed considerably between the two, with the right-wing candidate rallying noticeably over the last three weeks, to now being an almost neck-and-neck race between the two candidates. No doubt markets will be watching closely for any upsets there. And on the macro data front, we have CPI inflation data from the US. It was a pretty eye-watering number in February now. What are your expectations for the March data? Yes, indeed, Lorna. After a 7.9% year-on-year CPI inflation last month, we're now expecting that inflation uh, year-on-year will top 8%, so around the 84 to 8.6% range. Don't expect inflation to dissipate from here, unfortunately. And Ukraine-related issues with rising food costs, disrupted supply chains and energy are going to continue to influence inflation dynamics in the near term. Yes, indeed. That contrasts with China's benign-looking CPI number at 1.5% for March. Alex, what are you expecting for Chinese trade data this week? So despite that holiday shortened week, as you said, we have a considerable amount of data. That inflation from China remains muted for the consumer, at least. We are seeing continually strong and higher prices for industry. It could only be a matter of time before these filter through into the underlying economy. We also have that export and import numbers data from China, which will give us a really good insight into how these lockdowns that I mentioned may be now affecting trade. And that's an important thing, not just for China, but also for global growth in general. We also have German economic sentiment surveys, these expectations that moods are continuing to worsen. Over supply line delays, inflation and energy uncertainty continue to weigh on that economy there. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you, Lorna.